businesses, organizations get stuck with a certain way of doing things, right? And these, these habits that at one time served us really well because they were helping us to win become the official sanctioned way we do things around here. And then before you know it, they become ruts that you get stuck in. And if you just apply that idea to your own personal life, the habits and behaviors that got you to be a successful human being in your 30s and 40s, drove your career growth, led to success, maybe no longer serve you. Welcome to Mastering Midlife. If you're in your 40s and 50s and asking yourself, what happened? If you're driven to succeed but concerned about burnout in your work, career, and relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, top-selling author and executive coach, Mark J. Silverman, has direct and meaningful conversations with world-leading experts in business, finance, health, and well-being. Midlife is a time of extraordinary changes and challenges, but you can excel in your career while improving and strengthening your life to achieve sustainable and true success without compromise. Now, here's your host, Mark J. Silverman. Hi there, it's Mark here. Before we get started, I have something new for you. My website, markjsilverman.com, has truly become a life force of its own, along with useful additions to the podcast episodes, including show notes and links to the resources mentioned. I wanted to make sure there's something for all of you, no matter where you are on your journey. Most often, our journey to sustainable success and a thriving life starts with what, when, and where to focus your time and efforts. So I've actually improved my free Only Tens online course. Having suffered from severe ADD all my life, I've lived with these struggles for a long time. So when you sign up, you'll get the greatest hits from my best-selling book, Only Tens, where I reveal exactly how you can get and maintain momentum. It's a proven system that's helped thousands of people clear the clutter and get the right things done. But wait, there's more. On markjsilverman.com, you'll also find more information about even more ways you can get my help. While you're there, be sure to check out the new Leadership Resiliency Online course, too. Just head over to markjsilverman.com to get what you need. Now, on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Mastering Midlife, How to Thrive When the World Asks the Most of You. I'm your host, Mark Silverman. Today, I'm so excited. I read a book called A Beautiful Constraint, How to Transform Your Limitations into Advantages and Why It's Important. It's Everybody's Business a while ago, and I've been talking about the book and teaching people the concepts in the book and really wanting to talk to the guys who wrote the book. So... Mark Barden is here with me, and Mark is a marketing giant in the industry. He helped Audi break the rule of three, which I love that. He broke uh, uh, in the luxury brand market. He's helped PlayStation go from number three to number one in the console wars. He made Charles Schwab the household name that it is. He's a consultant, a facilitator, a coach, and he's a partner in a brand consultancy that specializes in challenger brands called Eat Big Fish, which, by the way, I'm embarrassed to say I finally figured out why you call it Eat Big Fish. Which is? Uh, which is, you're a challenger brand. You take smaller brands and you help go eat the lunch of the people who are bigger than them. Bingo. Brilliant. So thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. As everybody, can, as everybody can hear in my voice, I'm just really kind of fanboying and really excited because I've been, I'm so enamored with the concept of the book, A Beautiful Constraint. So rather than me explain what it is, what made you write a book about, uh, like this and what is, what, is the, what is the problem that you went to solve when you wrote the book? Yeah, well, so as part of our consulting project, which is now 20 years old, 
called the Challenger Project. We're constantly in front of Challenger brands. So these are people, business executives who are trying to punch above their weight, do more with less. And the, the method that we use to drive our business is to sit down with people who've been successful at doing that. We're studying challenges, not the kind of classic big brands. So we're, we're looking at people that the world doesn't normally pay that much attention to. And we're saying, how did you, how did you win? What did you do to succeed? And over the course of doing several hundreds of those over, over the years, we are able to back out tools and processes that basically make sense of all these patterns of behavior that we see the challenger brands doing. And so our, our business consultancy is built around a set of methodologies for helping anybody who wants to think and act more like a challenge brand to punch above their weight. So one of, one of the things, and this business is 20 years old now, and, and we've been working with, with those uh, technologies that are in Adam's first book, Eating the Big Fish, for many years. And after a while, we start to notice that one of the kind of defining ideas for a lot of challenger brands is that they're a constraint, a limitation, the thing that they feel like we can't possibly succeed because we don't have enough time, we don't have enough money, we don't have resources, know-how, distribution muscle, whatever it is, turns out to be the very thing that propels them to come up with a unique strategy in the marketplace. And we, we're noticing this time after time after time. And when we're talking to the challenges that we're dealing with, it's not that they're doing this in any kind of conscious way. And so because we're a consultancy and we're trying to re make repeated success with clients, we thought, well, maybe if we can back out a process for how to deal more productively with the constraints and limitations that naturally occur for everybody in any, any whether challenger or not, frankly, if we can make a repeatable process that we can help more people see the beauty in their constraints and not to shrink from them and be defeated by them, to actually engage productively and proactively with them as a way of transforming their business success and or personal fortune. So give me an example of a constraint. You know, in, your, in the book, you talk about things like how uh, post-it notes were, were born or Southwest Airlines and, and how the, the market constraints and, and their resource constraints actually helped them invent something new. Right. So imagine that you are the uh, founding team of a small furniture brand called Made in the UK. This is like custom-built pieces of furniture, kind of design-within-reach style stuff, really high-end stuff. And you've had a, a lot of success as a business. You're going direct-to-consumer. Everything is looking good for you. And you realize that in order to make it to the next level, you have to show up at the world's largest furniture show called I Saloni in Milan. It's really expensive to get on the floor in Milan at that show. And you don't have that kind of budget. You're not yet that, that big. So rather than just accept that, well, maybe next year or the year after we'll be big enough to go to Saloni, the management team there engaged proactively and productively with that constraint said, how might we still show up at Saloni, but in a way that doesn't require us to, to drop a fortune on, on the fees? And the answer was they had a bunch of customers who lived in Milan who bought some of their pieces that they reached out to, got in touch with and said, look, if we can get some people out of that furniture show, put them on a bus, give them a tour of Milan, come into your home, see our pieces in situ, would you be up for that? And they said yes. And of course, you know, for, for people who've been exhaustively walking around a massive furniture show in Milan for, for days on end, the idea of getting out and seeing something of Milan and getting into the homes of the Milanese is a better experience. So there's a constraint there. We don't have the money. But if we engage with that and try and figure out a creative solution to it, it's actually going to lead not just to some kind of kludged together solution, but a solution that turned out to be better, to be more beautiful, 
everybody who was on that tour enjoyed it far more than schlepping around the show. And so, you know, it turned out to be a beautiful constraint and it drove a lot of business growth and fame and fortune for them because a lot of the people who were on the bus were journalists. And of course, with what are they going to write about but their tour of Milan, seeing all these, uh, these great pieces in people's homes. Great. So, so in the diagram, you take people through a journey of their mindset and their yeah. methodology and their motivation, which is yeah. really cool because when you, hit, when you hit a wall like that, like, oh my God, how are we going to get into that furniture show? There's a little, there's a little depression and a little, sure. you know, like there's a, whole, there's a whole emotional game that goes on inside before you can even get to thinking about a solution. There's very few people who just go, oh, let's, let's get creative. First, you got to okay. feel your feelings and deal with what's real. So yeah. can, you take a, can you take us through that journey? Yeah, so it's really important for us to break down the process that we try and get people to go through, which is about mindset, method, motivation, and just breaking it down to those three places. So I'll just start with mindset. Most of us, as human beings, when we're first confronted with a constraint, the boss walks in and goes, hey, you know that big project? I want it delivered six months earlier, and I've got to take two of your team to work on another. Naturally, we go to what we call the victim mindset which is you start by just kind of, you know, crawling under the bed sheets and going, how the hell can I meet my ambition now? I'm hosed. And all of us go there. And so one of the things we wanted to say was that even some of the brilliant people that we interviewed, people like Michael Beirut of Pentagram, Dan Wyden of Wyden and Kennedy, Eve Behar of Fuse Project, always said that when the impossible briefs come in, they always start at that victim place but slowly but surely lift themselves out of it and start to engage with the, with the problem at hand. And one of the things it turns out to be really critical to do is to find stories in your own personal narrative, your own history, or the history of your company, of when constraints have turned out to be blessings in disguise, have actually prompted you, forced you to create something new that the world hasn't seen yet. And we are the stories we tell ourselves is one of the kind of maxims in the book. So start by telling yourselves stories of when you've been able to do this before and convince yourself that you, you can do this. And that allows you to travel from victim through neutralizer. I'm prepared to engage with this, but I'm not really going to be able to kind of do anything magical all the way to transformer. Actually, there are possibilities created by this constraint that we're prepared to kind of engage with now and go on, on, that, on that journey together. So getting a group of people or an individual to a place where they are in the right mindset to proactively engage with the constraint is job one. And that comes from, from telling yourself stories about how you've been a, a transformer, a challenger in the past, and, and just getting clear on the fact that we can do this. You know, and it's, it's amazing to us that every culture that we looked at around the world, there was a piece of language that encoded this idea. So in America, we like to talk about if you have lemons, make lemonade. And that, but nobody knows how to actually do it. So first of all, <laughs> recognize how to make lemonade. First of all, recognize that you can do it. There are stories in your personal biography when you've been able to do it. And that gets you into the method piece. And the method piece has a couple of critical things. One is a propelling question. I'll talk about that in a second. The second is can if thinking. So the propelling question says, what we need to do, something counterintuitive actually in the face of a constraint, is to couple an even bigger ambition to that constraint. So typically what happens to us when we're confronted with this constraint, you have two months less and two less people to work on it, is you will default to thinking about the problem in the ways that you've always thought about the problem historically. So you get, we call this path dependence, right? It's basically, what do our habits, process, behavior, mindset tell us we need to, to use in this situation? And the way that you can break that 
and propel yourself into new kinds of solution fields is to do something really quite counterintuitive, which is to increase the level of ambition. So going back to that furniture conversation, they weren't just trying to figure out a way to show up in Italy at the, the furniture show. They were looking for a way to best the experience that everybody was having in the furniture show. And coupling those things together, the a bigger ambition with the constraint forces you to engage with the constraint, but also to do it in a way that you've never historically engaged. So it brings, create, it brings creativity into it instead exactly. of trying to figure things out and tight, like how do we make this work with all these things against us? Now it's, wow, what is possible? Yeah, what is possible? And, and just framing it and having on a, you know, get a post-it note, like I've got lying all over my office here, get a post-it note and write your propelling question on it and pick it up somewhere where you're going to look at it every single day. And every single day you'll start processing, probably in the background, different ways to do that. Is there an example of a propelling question? Yeah, I mean, Audi, so, you know, Audi is a client of ours. So this story came directly from the lips of, of Scott Keogh, who's the president of Audi who said, how do you recognize that in order to establish itself as a prestige automobile mark around the world, they needed to win at Le Mans. They needed to win a big race, Le Mans, the 24-hour race. But, you know, they also recognize that how do you, how do you create an engine that is better than the Ferrari, that better than the Mercedes and McLaren? We're never going to be able to kind of out-engineer, out-invent those guys. So their propelling question was, how do we win Le Mans when we, have, when we do not have an engine that's any better or faster than the competition. At uh, first blush, you go, I, yeah, I don't know how to do that. You've read the book. Do you remember what the answer to that is? I don't. So the answer was, you make less pit stops. So if you can't go faster... Now I remember. You, Thank you. You come off the track less often. And so Audi's genius was to say, we can win the race without having a faster engine if we introduce a diesel engine technology into the Le Mans uh, race, which is the first time that had ever happened. Diesel engines are more fuel efficient. They came off the track less. They stayed on the track longer. And winning Le Mans is about staying on the track longer than anybody else. And so just having that propelling question and going to the engineering team at Audi and, and saying, we know we can't do it with a stronger, faster engine. What, what are the different ways we can do it? Propel them into different kind of solution fields and looking at diesel in a way that no one had until that point. So that was the, the creative breakthrough that, that came for them. So getting clear on a propelling question, sticking on a post-it note, looking at it every day, and then the next piece of methodology is to engage with that propelling question in a positive frame of mind. That involves what we call can-if thinking. So this came, again, from another one of the people we interviewed, a guy called Colin Kelly, who works at Europe's largest bakery, Warburton's. And when he was dealing with complex questions like this, full of constraints, he had to ban his team from starting a conversation with, well, we can't do that, Colin, because. He said, right away, you're defeated. So I want you to start every conversation that we have is, well, we can do that, Colin, if. And what do we need to believe is true or what can we? What new ways can we change the conversation to create a can-if positive conversation? But once you start this positivity in the conversation, it builds on each other. So now people are fighting. Well, we can if this. Well, how, you know, well how's that, how's that going to work? Well, we can if we do this. We can if we do that. And so, one of the key tools in the book is the can-if map that provides ten different prompts to get you started with a can-if conversation. 
Can you substitute something? Can you take something out? Can you borrow resources from another part of the business? Can you yada, yada, yada? And it just gives you different ways of starting conversations that hopefully propel you towards different solutions. So by the way, I'm, I'm going to put a, some of these diagrams on the show notes on my website so people can follow along before they, you know, they'll order the book, but it's going to take them two days to get the book with Amazon Prime. So they'll be able to look at my website to follow along with you. So, yeah, great. so now, so now we got, now we have a positive attitude and we're starting to have creative ideas. And now number five is creating abundance. Yeah. Is, creating this, abundance. So, I mean, that, this is about really about the fact that the resources that you have to solve the problem are not simply the resources that are sitting around in your workplace, your budget, your skills, your know-how. There are resources out there in the world that can help you solve this. And the entrepreneurial mindset of today, this kind of mutually beneficial hustle of going out and creating deals, striking partnerships, creating alliances with people is the key to that. So creating abundance says, don't simply get a fixed mindset around what resources you have available to you to solve this problem. Look beyond, look outside, where can I go? So for example, there's a story in the book about how the South African brewers, South, South African brewers who are a client of ours, had to figure out how to increase yield of barley to make better beer without using as much water. South Africa has been in drought conditions now for, for, sure. for, for a number of years. And so there's the propelling question. How do we improve the yield of barley whilst using less water? Ostensibly can't be done. But Fricky Lobby at South African Breweries who led that project went out and talked to universities about What's the new kind of learning that we can borrow? So it's creating an abundance in the sense of insights, information, knowledge, and know-how. Talking to wheat farmers about how is it that they manage to increase, improve yield in wheat, and can we apply those techniques to barley and so on? So the abundance turned out to be outside of his you know, domain, his current system, looking outside, talking to different people, figuring out to get ideas, insights, resources to solve this problem, which he was able to do quite successfully. And so now, now we get into the motivation and, and the emotional part of this whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's still hard, right? So even if we've got, we've, we've transformed from victim to transformer, we've got our propelling question clearly defined, we're, we're approaching it with a positive kind of mindset, we're working through the problem. Many of these are difficult, wicked problems, and they're not going to yield right from the, and new from the problems game. come up over and over like you you get to a certain point and then another problem comes in and you're already feeling like a victim again because like we did all this and we still can't get there so you have to kind of yeah move yourself around again yeah sort of there's almost like a set of cascading kind of solutions right so we can improve the yield of barley with with less water if we stress the plant at certain times well how can we do that each one reveal each kind of solution for a while yields another propelling question, another, another limitation, constraint that comes up. And so you need to have constantly be thinking about how do we fuel positivity and innovation in this group? And I, I learned a lot from talking to Professor Gabriel Ertingen, who's at the New York University Motivation Lab, about how do you motivate people to keep going and to change when things are really quite hard. And her work is predominantly in, in the world of addiction, for example, how do you get people to stop drinking alcohol every, every single day. And she said that what works best for human beings is to create both a positive story and a negative story and have them both in your minds at the same time. And this is great sort of signposting for leadership inside these organizations. So on the one hand, you want to paint a very rosy picture for the team of if we solve this, guys, here is what is going to happen to us. And that might be your personal progression in your career. 
hitting a sales target that gives everybody a bonus. Whatever it is, the leader has to find a way to tell a really positive story about, let's keep going because if we do this, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to work for us. At the same time, you need to paint a quite bleak picture of what it looks like if we don't succeed, that we lose our jobs, that we don't hit our targets. And, And just basically keep, good leadership is about keeping the team engaged with quite challenging situations by painting these pictures of light and dark and and continue to bring back those stories, frankly, about uh, we are the stories we tell ourselves. So let's tell ourselves positive stories about how we've done this in the past. But let's remind ourselves that, you know, if we don't get real with this stuff, it's going to start impacting our personal uh, livelihoods. And that's that's what motivation drives motivation is this kind of, she calls it, forget what Gabrielle calls it, but it's holding the tension between those those two worlds of light and dark. I think it also addresses that some people are carrot motivated and some people are stick motivated. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it, right. it seems to handle everybody, both that's internally right, yeah. and then, uh, you know, individual. You know, so thank you for, thank you for explaining the wheel for us and, the, and, and the, the different stages and different things we have to think about. I use this often on my whiteboard, even in personal situations. Because you guys, you guys have must have done a ton of work to just you know, just on your enlightenment on, on the human condition. The, the, when I when I look at how you guys structured this, I can't help but think when you go from a victim to an owner, right? To, you know, to a victim of the circumstances to a cause, right? To then go into break path where you're where you're changing the way you think about things. This is this is what coach you know. This is what transformational coaching is all about. This is, mm-hmm. you know, when, so, so it's not just for business. This is, this is in every area of our life. If, if someone comes to me for a coaching session, I'll start with, all right, where are you a victim in this situation? Like, why, you, know, you know, and how do we get you to be at cause? How do we get you to be, take responsibility for creating this in your world, right? Then how do we, how do we think about this differently, right? What mm-hmm. questions can we ask? I love that. Right. And then what what needs to happen for you to be able to do something? These can if questions are just such a great trigger when someone's stuck. If I throw these in front of someone, just like I just hand them the stuff right from the book and I say, let's let's try this. You can if and you can if and even if some of them are ridiculous, they eventually get to, oh, you know, we could do this if we move this here and we do that. And then all of a sudden they're starting to think. Then we start thinking about the resources. We're all more resourceful than we ever thought. Uh, yeah. and, and to start to get that positive thought. So I, I really commend you guys in how deep this goes. Thank you. That's really good. And it's, it's interesting when, when uh, Adam and I speak in public or do an engagement with clients using this, these tools, very often someone will come up to me almost conspiratorially and say, you know, I know this is like an innovation program that we're doing here, but I'm getting, this is really a self-help book, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought to, to present it that way to the world, but absolutely. And in fact, I just recently had an exchange with our, our publisher about this, which is, you know, we are getting a lot of that feedback that people say, this has really helped me. I like thinking about this in terms of can if, I like thinking about my own personal propelling questions for my life, my career at this point in time. Is there a self-help book? Is there a way to kind of take some of the same content, exactly the same methodology that's in here, and frame it slightly differently using more personal stories that are less connected to the world of business insight and business innovation and and, and represent it to the world as a self-help book? What What do you think? Well, that's what I started doing with my videos last year. When I read mm. the book, I read the book specifically. I don't even know how the book came into my my being, but you know, I bought the book. I read. I'm reading the book, and I'm going. 
this, this, this is like put in a box for marketing and business challenges when this is, this is a formula for success in getting yourself from one place to another, both in, in mindset, in environment, in resources, in technology, in every way. So I'm, I'm all for it. And, you know, I'm going to incorporate it into my, I'm writing a book, Mastering Midlife, How to Thrive When the World Has the Most of You. I'm actually going to incorporate this. Of course, I will cite you guys. But I think it's, I think it's such a simple thing to take someone through and take yourself through. I've done yeah. it. I've done it before when I've hit a constraint, uh, and I journal every morning. Right, I do. I do my um, ninety minutes of meditation and praying and journaling and all that. And there are times when I've taken this diagram out, and I'm hit. I'm hitting a wall with something, and I just work my way around the diagram, and I'm free, which is why I offer it to my clients all the time, and why I wanted you on the on on the show to talk about it. That's great. That's really great to hear that, Mark. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. So how would you how so let's let's take a let's take a, the constraint. How would you take this and now give it to a bigger audience? Because there's a there's a there's a need, there's a hunger for it. Yeah, well, I mean again, I, I had a friend I was on a walk with a few weeks ago, and he's a big fan of the book like you, he's used it a lot in his own work and given it out at conferences himself. And he said he's he's in his own network getting feedback from people now. And the feedback is at least 50% personal stories about how people have applied this to to their own work. So, you know, one of the things, maybe this is an offer for your audience here, is to say, look, if you do go through this, and, and how if you use it for business, that's fantastic. That's what initially it was designed for. But if you also find that you're able, like you are, to work it into your personal journeys, please tell us the stories about how that has unfolded so that we might think about, you know, the Challenger project is very geared towards business and brands. But maybe what we need is a body of, of content now about people who've been able to use it in their personal lives to, to create constraints. And my, my wife and I have this conversation all the time. You know, it's, there's nothing worse, actually, than having your own ideas thrown back at you. Well, we have this issue, sweetheart. You know, well, you're the guy with the beautiful constraints. How can you <laughs> figure out, you know, the way through this? And so, you know, we've had to do it. Adam and I have had a number of conversations about how we work through some personal issues ourselves using some of the tools in this book. So I think let's, rather than me answer that question, let's ask maybe your listeners here to write to us and tell us their own personal stories after they've had some time to work through this, the tools in the book and tell us how it is that they've been able to use it to transform their personal life. Because if that book wants to be written, I would absolutely love to write it. Or if that website needs to be built, I would absolutely love to build it. Because like you, I think this is just a really positive way to proceed through life, not just in your business life, but in, 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 in the rest of your life too. And I, I haven't thought about it, to be honest, in the context of the midlife crisis, which I know is the work that you do. So that's just really new to me. I'd, I'd love to do a little bit more thinking and bounce that back and forward with you and some of your, some, some of your I'd, listeners in the future. I'd, I'd love to do that. And by the way, I, I believe that a midlife crisis is avoidable. It's a function of evolving that it's not inevitable. So I don't work. I've with always people. enjoyed mine. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, but, but again, you can enjoy the, you can enjoy the ones that don't crash and burn and destroy it, you know, burn yeah. everything to the ground. Yeah. Midlife is a great time to have fun and, and make mistakes and do all kinds of interesting things. But it's when you burn everything to the ground that it, you know, it's unredeemable. You know, I yeah, think absolutely. I, well, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the idea of path dependency that I mentioned earlier is just how businesses, organizations get stuck with a certain way of doing things, right? And these, these habits that at one time served us really well because they were helping us to win become the official sanctioned way we do things around here. 
And then before you know it, they become ruts that you get stuck in. And if you just apply that idea to your own personal life, the habits and behaviors that got you to be a successful human being in your 30s and 40s, drove your career growth, led to success, maybe no longer serve you as you mature into an adult in a, into an adult with different needs with different. And at that point, you need to break your path dependency. And that is, I imagine, where the coaching comes in to say there are different ways of thinking about how you go about your day, how you think about your life at this point. Let's create new paths to growth, personal growth, and abandon the old paths as no longer serving us. That's a coaching moment that is entirely in line you with just You just spewed out my whole tagline. That's everything okay. I teach, right? I, I use Michael Jordan as the example of the three different careers he had. You know, mm. he started off with this otherworldly talent and a dedication, you know, work ethic. But as the game changed, as, as, you know, as he aged, he had to be three different players in order to go from phenom to champion to legend, right? He, there, there, there was definitely an evolution. And he had to break that path dependence as his body changed. Like mm. he just could no longer do the things he did before. So he had to figure out another way. So I, I, think, there's, I think there's a plethora and I'm, I'm going to be sending you ideas. Great. Yeah, I mean, I have my own version of that, I suppose, now, which is, I mean... It won't surprise you to know because you and I are looking at each other on, on Zoom right now. I'm the oldest guy in the room most of the time when I show up to speak with clients. And it's no longer appropriate for me to have that kind of young warrior energy in a meeting where I can drive change and argue for change and fight for change because it just doesn't sit well with somebody who shows up in, in the way that I do when I'm confronted with that energy coming back from a room. And so... You know, increasingly, my own path dependence is to drop that kind of young Skywalker energy and adopt more of a kind of sage. Like I'm just here to listen, observe, and pull the truth out of these, this, this room full of energy and ideas. And that's a different way of en engaging with the world. It's taken me a long time to make that shift personally, but that's where I feel like I am in terms of my own journey to break path dependency and, and find different ways into kind of conversations with people. So I can tell you from experience, I'm 57. So I had to, I had, you know, it was really hard for me to let go of that youth, you know, let go of that competing with the 27 year old guys. Right. And, and to start to realize that I'm based, I'm Yoda now, right? Like I'm, I have, and those that comes with new superpowers and to let go of some of the old stuff. And then for me, I, you know, I grew a beard, I grew a, a nice gray beard and everything. And then I was confronted with why are you being the old guy? So now I can take back some of my youthful vigor, but you know, and, and be, be more full, but yeah, it's, it's, an, you're, you're so right in every area. Like we, we have this opportunity to create something even more beautiful than what was before. Yeah. Great. Great. I don't know if this, this is useful to you or not. So, but, I was thinking about, you know, the kind of work that you do. Have you come across this book? So this is, uh, the, so you have to tell me what it is. It's called The Middle Passage from Misery to Meaning in Midlife by Dr. James Hollis, famous Jungian psychologist. I the have best. not. So that, that, one's, uh, that one's on the list as soon as we hang up. Yeah, that's a great book. And I'll put, I'll put the link in the show notes because Mastering Midlife is not written completely yet. So you can read that. And meanwhile, Mark, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate you journeying through your masterpiece with me in a, you know, in a little bit different light. What's, what's cool on your plate now? What's next that you're creating? Well, there's a lot of stuff I can't talk about for confidentiality reasons, as you might imagine. So I'll, I, but, but for me personally, I think it's interesting because I haven't really necessarily articulated it 
until this core, but it's it's trying to grapple with my own sense of what are my path dependencies more explicitly and what are my kind of opportunities going forward and, and trying to get into that conversation. So, you know, I don't know when the midlife crisis begins and ends, can you, if you, but I feel like I'm still in it and I'm loving it. And that's kind of the, the, that conversation that we just had there. So, so, so actually like, let's, let's just ask, let me just ask the question. Yeah. Cause you, you keep tagging on that word crisis. Yeah. Are you in a midlife crisis or are you just in midlife and now things need to change? Yeah, that's great. I, I hate that word crisis. Cause I've always felt it to be a, a force of good. Whenever I think about the fact that something needs to change here that way that i've been working with clients internally with my with my own teams here needs to evolve needs to change it's i don't know if it's helpful to present it as a crisis but i do like the urgency of that word i do like the kind of burning platform nature of that word so it's never felt more like a crisis than it is really an opportunity who was it that said never let a good crisis go to waste i think that's the way i think about about when I frame it to myself as, oh, this is the midlife crisis showing up again, which is the need to evolve, the need to grow, and framing it as growth as opposed to something's broken and there's a crisis there. That to me is the most helpful way to think about this. And never let a good crisis go to waste, which is, right, what's the insight? What's the opportunity? What's the learning? How do we keep going here into the future? Even if it's, you know, I mean, one of the things that Hollis talks about just break it. I'll break it down. This is the midlife crisis in a nutshell for me. The first half of life is about ego. You are fighting the contest by the rules that other people have set, and you're seeing if you can win that game. I would imagine that a lot of the people that listen to this show of yours have been good at winning that game. And at some point, you have to accept and acknowledge and let yourself have that victory and say, I won. Look, we're successful. We have a great business. You have a great career. And at that point, the midlife crisis is about saying, let's not play the game by other people's rules. The game going forward is about the rules that your soul sets for you, not your ego. And there's a different set of rules to play by. And winning looks completely different when you're trying to figure out what winning for your soul looks like as opposed to what your ego looks like. And that's the transition. The passage from ego-driven to soul-driven is what Hollis's book about. And that's the kind of conversation I'm personally engaged in right now is, What's the next 10 years look like and how can I succeed according to terms that I set and not anybody else? So in the crisis is resisting that whisper, resisting that soul call. So the crisis is when people try to hold on to what was, hold on to their youth, hold on to the business that no longer serves them and don't listen to their soul because their soul is going to get their attention. It's either going to be you're fired. It's either going to be you're sick. It's either going to be your marriage blows up, but something's going to happen if you keep resisting it because life won't take no for an answer, right? Well said. So that's the, that's the question. So, uh, so we'll leave this with, I'm going to ask you two questions and then we're going to leave this. So what is the consequences of not evolving? What is the consequences of not heeding this for you? Well, I mean, I think what happens, uh, I'll speak personally, but I suspect it's a general point is when you fail to heed the call of your soul, you start losing energy for the work that you're doing. Right. So we're making, then, the, by the way, this is personal. I asked this question of you, right. if you're yeah, okay with that. Well, well, so that's, that's what happens to me is, you know, I can sense when I have energy for a project because it's speaking to something deeply than when it's just speaking to 
we won this blue chip client and this project is prestigious and we will do great work for them. That used to be enough to sustain me. And thank goodness, because it built a, a great business. And, and long may that continue for everybody else that works and eat big fish. But at this point, certain things stop feeding that soul and the motivation and the energy to show up and do the work with the kind of intensity that we have to do it, just intensity in terms of the, the quality and richness of the conversation and the kind of work we need to do. If it's not speaking to the soul, it's really hard to source energy. And so I can't be as successful. And so that's how it shows up for me is like, oh, and listening to that, you know, there's a moment where what I've started to try to do much more of these days is when offered an opportunity and, you know, thank, thankful that they're still coming in, is to take a minute to get really clear on in my gut, it's a gut feeling. It's not up here in my intellect. My intellect can get its head around just about anything because it's always that's where the ego is in control. It's, this is a great prestigious job. In my gut, do I feel I'm going to be able to get excited about working on this? Do I like the people? Do I like the challenge? Is it speaking something deeper within me? If the answer is yes, great, proceed. If the answer is no, have a really courageous conversation with yourself and your colleagues about, I can't do this one. Somebody else is going to have to take over. And that, you know, over time, I think if you do more and more and more work that feeds the soul, the work itself evolves. And that's why this conversation you and I have been having about how does how do the principles of a beautiful constraint show up for human beings at this time of midlife crisis is such an interesting one for me to engage with. Sure. So I'd like to offer is what I just heard you talk about is a lot of your heart. You know, you, you keep calling it your gut, but that's yeah. your desire is your heart, that longing, right? Yeah. The, gut, the, the gut is, you know, keeps you safe. It's your seat of identity, but your heart is, what do you want? What makes you come alive, right? right? And then your head is, what's the danger? You know, what can I get and what can I, what, what can happen, right? So, you know, when we start to learn those three things, when we can start making more informed decisions to what we want. So what, do, so, so now this, this, you put yourself on, you obviously bought that book, you're speaking to me, so God put you in, me in your life for mm -hmm. a moment. What's, what's the opportunity for you if you grow and shift and change in there? What, what's, what could possibly be there for you? So here's the thing. What I know I'm good at from years of doing it with Eat Big Fish is to stand at the front of, the front of a room and lead a courageous conversation about a business. That I know I can do. So and do you like that? And by, by the way, does that, does that light you up? It does if the, if the project, the nature of the project, the nature of the people is, is, is good. But that skill is a transferable skill. And what the world needs more of right now is courageous conversation between people who can't talk to each other. So what I'm really engaged in is thinking through, and I'm right at the very beginning of this. I've no idea what exactly my role might be in this. But how can we get groups of people to come together and actually listen and actually talk and actually understand? without necessarily having to agree that they, you know, and find alignment, how can we do that? So that might look like it's more of a kind of mediation role, perhaps. But, you know, again, because I'm, I'm, I'm in difficult conversations with companies all the time where the CFO might be arguing with the head of production, who might be arguing with the marketing people, and we find ways to have them hear each other and unite on a, strat a strategy and a way forward together as a group. That skill set is transferable into many domains. And when I look at the world and I open a newspaper, I'll, I see all kinds of domains where that skill, that ability, that willingness has gone missing. So if I can play some small role in creating more constructive, courageous conversations where people can progress together, even though those difficult conversations require them to maybe abandon certain positions, 
or agree where they can't agree and move forward anyway and regardless that's something that i think the world needs and that's the kind of work i'm looking for going forward or at least that's the best articulation i can come up with it thank you for putting me on the spot though mark I so the, so the, yeah, i was really moved by that because what i see is and what i've experienced by reading your work by following you for a while is that i think that's your gift i think what you've done in the branding world is a drop in the bucket for what your gifts actually bring you know, you know who seth godin is right mm -hmm, yeah and you know the quality he brings to a conversation yeah. And the quality that he brings out in the people who are around him. I feel that same quality in you and your work. And I would encourage you and beg you to explore that because the world needs you. So that's, that's what I'm going to leave you with on this podcast, not what you expected. So Wonderful. thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. You I really appreciate that. And to everybody else, your precious time and attention is the most important thing to me. I love you. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to Mastering Midlife. For more resources, to find Mark's best-selling books, and to work with Mark, please visit the website at markjsilverman.com. Subscribe to Mastering Midlife anywhere podcasts are heard, and listen on Amazon Alexa by adding the show to your flash briefing. And please leave a rating and review. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.